So, this is it. The last weekend before Christmas. Mill Valley, like just about every other town, was buzzing yesterday with activity. Daniel and I joined the throngs doing some last-minute shopping, lights for the tree, errands that had long been postponed, because as this week opens, we plunge headlong towards Christmas Eve, and there's no stopping it coming. Here at Church of Our Savior, we have our annual pageant dress rehearsal after today's service, a beautiful coffee hour, and then our greens winding with stone soup. It's a time of memory. A time of joy for some of us, a time of sadness for others that comes with the emotional recollections that this season brings. A bittersweet occasion of expectation, of hope, of imagination for so many of us, nurtured by carols and familiar stories and time-honored traditions. But then, of course, there was that card on the mirror at the barbershop yesterday when I went in for my annual Christmas haircut. It had a depiction of Santa on it, and sitting on the steps watching him was a little blue pajama-clad boy. And Santa turns to him and says, Timmy, I'm sorry that you saw me. Now I'm going to have to kill you. I've also noticed that a now computer-generated version of Dickens' A Christmas Carol is back in theaters. So we are haunted anew by the ghost of Christmas past, those growling grumbles of cynicism that echo across the years as we are invited to listen to Scrooge's now almost immortal humbug yet again. That humbug as Scrooge and, I assume, the author of that Christmas card, was scandalized by Christmas and everything that comes with it. I wonder if it isn't that we, along with Scrooge, struggle in part with the scandal that has always lurked beneath the Christmas tree, that we struggle to keep secret something unsettling in the heart of Christmas. It's that struggle that is the beginning of our journey, you see, just as this sense of being scandalized was the beginning of Scrooge's journey in A Christmas Carol. To begin with, one scandal perhaps is that Christmas for us is really an amalgamation of northern European pagan traditions with ancient Roman solstice festivals laden on top, Christianized perhaps, but then also wildly and sometimes obscenely commercialized of late so that our struggling economy could come out a bit ahead by year's end. At least we hope so. But then there's even a deeper scandal than that. One that we recount each year in our scripture readings. One that we just recounted amidst beautiful lessons and beautiful music. If you crack open your Bible, you'll notice that Jesus' pedigree in chapter 3 of the Gospel according to Luke is not just made up of the great Davidic heroes of ancient Israel, but of 'er ne'er-do-wells and scandalous figures of the old Hebrew tradition, 
folk that even in our let it all hang out era would make most of us blush to claim as our spiritual ancestors. So much so I won't go into detail right now. And then, of course, there's the story of Jesus' conception itself, of an angel coming to a peasant Galilean Jewish girl in Nazareth and telling her she is about to bear the Messiah. Without any help, thank you very much, from the man to whom she is betrothed. Now, that Mary accepts this is in itself remarkable. Either she is profoundly naive and foolish or remarkably faithful to a God who is anything but predictable. Christian tradition generally prefers the latter view, of course. But you see, betrothal traditionally meant a time for the couple to set up a household together and to protect and ensure the woman's purity, which in a patriarchal society meant the purity of her husband-to-be's bloodline. And now that Mary is about to conceive prior to entering the marriage bed with Joseph, throws a huge monkey wrench into the middle of that tradition and risks the logical consequence of his tossing her out for impurity and infidelity. Now, if memory serves, Matthew solves this problem by sending the angel to Joseph, too, to tell him to hang on and hang in there. Luke doesn't do that. Luke just leaves us in scandal and lets Joseph sort it out for himself. So you can imagine Mary going to Elizabeth, not just to visit her cousin, but to get away from the tongues a-wagging in the town, because she's probably showing by then, and everybody knows it. But that's only the beginning. Because the whole notion that God is going to be born in the mess of a stable in a dusty little town, that the God of all creation, the maker of the cosmos, is about to appear through all the pain and blood of childbirth, is a scandal of theological, if not cosmological, proportions. It flies in the face of all the perfection and intellectual notions about who God is supposed to be. Too holy to be among us little imperfect folk. Too transcendent to touch our mortal and messy lives. Too great to fit into the little households and the gossipy neighborhoods and the mundane imperfect familial relationships that all of us and most of humanity has inhabited across the ages. Yet this God does not shun the virgin's womb. And Mary sings her song to magnify this scandalous God, leaving the philosophers and great theologians scratching their heads and the wealthy and powerful kings either running for cover or sharpening their swords. Mary agrees to welcome into the very depths of her soul a baby savior who even before he can utter a word turns the whole of the world as we know it inside out. The rich are sent away empty, the poor and humble are exalted, the hungry are filled, and the powerful are cast down. I find myself wondering this year if Mary is truly the first Christian, the first to answer the call of Advent. 
the first of the new bloodline welcoming God into the heart, even to be embodied in our midst in this scandalous way, which we carry on in the scandal of the common cup and the bread broken and shared, which we carry on when we reach out to the most scandalous of our own age, be they the impoverished or the homeless or the marginalized, be they the subject of cynicism, of ill repute, or gossip, when we reach out to our enemies and embrace them as friends, or when we follow our Savior in setting aside the familiar patterns of violence and retribution and instead take up the paths of self-offering and endless forgiveness. My sisters and brothers, this time of year, we are called to follow in Mary's footsteps, to magnify the Lord, to proclaim the greatness of our God, to allow our Savior to be born into the very depths of our souls. With all the potential for scandal and the remaking of the world around us and within us, that entails. That is the call of Advent the call upon us in our shared Christian vocation, the call of what it means to become a people not just for, but a people of Christmas. Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.